Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. To make you stop living, to me, is not a choice. It's not an option. Because then you're wasting your own life. I believe that the nature of this very existence is that we go through challenges, roadblocks are gonna, all, that's the nature of this life. You're not gonna just sail along, everything's fantastic. That's not reality. You're gonna have great things happen, hopefully happy things, joyous, all on the good side. And there's gonna be times when things don't work out the way you want. You're here for a reason, whatever that reason is. Hey guys, Tom here. Today's interview with Ellen Shane is very insightful. I had no idea the amount of impact that they're making on these kids. So let me just give you a preview. Ellen Shane created a program called the Successful Education Achievement, or C program, to honor the loss of her daughter, Emily Shane. And through this, she, her husband, and everyone else who's involved here, not to mention the countless donors who are sponsoring these children, have helped thousands of students across many different schools. And the wonderful thing here is they don't just help with the academic side of things by providing mentors who are relatable to them, but they also through these mentorships, develop relationships that are able to address the problems behind the problems, anything outside of school that they're facing that's causing this issues with school. Here's why this is important. Because as Ellen points out, their middle school experience sets them up for either success or failure as they go to high school, which then sets them up for either success or failure as they go to life. And so without successful education, without being able to perform well and understand and translate that understanding into the environment they're in, they're not going to be able to live out their purpose. But as you'll see in this interview, Ellen and her organization do an excellent job of not only helping these students to achieve their academic success, but to also grow in who they are as a person, and ultimately to make a difference in the future. So I hope you guys really enjoy this episode with Ellen Shane, and thank you again for listening to People of Purpose. Awesome. Okay, so hi, welcome to People of Purpose. I am not Tanner, uh, as you can tell by the voice. Hi, I am Tom. I am Tanner's right-hand man. I'm usually the person behind the scenes helping things, but Tanner's on vacation, and you know, vacation's important for all of us. So today, I will be talking with 
Ellen Shane. Um, she has done a wonderful work for the Emily Shane Foundation, which is named after her daughter. And um, they do a lot of great work with helping middle schoolers to actually be able to finish middle school when they might not otherwise be able to do that. Um, why, don't, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? And then let's get started with a couple of questions. Okay. Well, just about me. <laughs> I actually grew up in Montreal, Canada and lived there most of my life and moved to Los Angeles in 1996 and have lived here in this city ever since. Um, I don't know what else you want to know. <laughs> I have you know, three children. I completed my education, had two of my kids in, in uh, Montreal. And I actually worked for several years in Montreal in the business world. I had graduated um, with a degree in, uh, in business from McGill University. And then after, um, we moved here. I actually moved to Los Angeles pregnant with our third child, with who was Emily. And uh, I did not work at first. Of all, I couldn't work because I didn't have the, <laughs> I wasn't a citizen or a green card. I didn't have a green card. So, but all that, I got all that squared away um, over time. But I really, um, I really, I, I would say my life changed uh, after following the tragic murder of my daughter. That really made a shift in my life from being, at that time I had, I wasn't working. I was a full-time mom. I was very involved in the schools, you know, on the boards of the PTSA and room mom and all that, very, very active and involved. Uh, but as I said, the, the, the turning point in my life really was after um, Emily's, Emily's murder. Let's go ahead and start there then. Let's go ahead and start there. And then I want to jump back to the uh, the Canada and the move a little bit later. But um, I noticed that as I was looking at uh, like your homepage and then some of the articles that were written about you, uh, a lot of the time there is that um, strong mention of the murder of Emily. And so it sounds like there's a lot of emotion there. Forgive me for jumping in straight with an emotional thing here, but... Uh, how how have you processed that? I, I know it's been several years. Um, how is that? Yeah, how do you process that? Well, in our case, it was a shock because it wasn't like she was sick or was there was anything wrong. It, it was a regular Saturday on the weekend. It was spring break. And I remember the day vividly you know, kids were off from school. I had had taken the time to to do a fit. You know, my husband and I tried to make a little plant so we'd have some time together. We'd gone to uh, do, at the time it was an exercise class. I think it was a spin class. And anyways, I just remember it was a normal day is what I'm trying to say. And we got home and I remember calling Emily and she wanted to come home, which was actually rare because usually at that age, you know, she kept saying, can I have another sleepover? Can I stay over? She had had a sleepover the night before at a friend's house and she wanted to come home. And that was odd. And I said, and she said, do you think um, you could come dad or daddy could come and pick me up? And I remember that my husband was in the middle of doing some work when we had got in and I went to him and I said, you know, she wants, sounds like she wants to come home now. And he said, okay, I'll go get her. 
And I told her and she said, well, just have him meet me. There's a little um, market named Pavilions and it's a little plaza. She says, just have him meet me there and I'll walk over. We did that all the time. So I said, okay. And um, she never made it to the market. And I don't know if you want me to get into what happened, but what I'm, the bottom line is that you're having this regular day and all of a sudden it's not a regular day. And what happened is I got all these frantic phone calls from my husband saying, you know, where is she? Where is she? And I said, well, that's weird. She said she left the house. I called the house where she had been. Yes, she has left. And then I got a phone call that I will never forget. And I think the officer who called me himself was very shaken up because the first thing he said to me was, uh, I, I, and you know, by the way, my daughters, I don't know if you want me to get into what happened, but he basically had found her phone and it, and, and she had mummy written. So he called me, that's how he got to my cell phone. And, um, he said, we, we, we need your permission. I was like, what? I said, who is this? What are you talking about? What permission? He said, we have to airlift your daughter. And I, I said, what? I said, what, what are you talking? I, he, you know, it was so out of context. But the bottom line is that from one moment to the next, my life was what you would call or our lives, our family, you know, it was somewhat normal existence. And all of a sudden, I found out in a very short measure of time from that call, and I can tell you more about it after, that our daughter had died. She was dead. Like one minute she's coming home from a play date and life's going to go on, and the next minute she's dead. <laughs> That's a lot to even process. It, it's a shock for sure. And I personally believe that the brain actually protects you in a certain way for the full impact of hitting you. I mean, yes, you're, you're, you're pained and you're anguished and you can't believe it. And, you know, all these different things flood through you and you are in shock, even though you don't realize it, but you don't feel the full impact initially. Yeah, that is. I think that if you did, it would be insurmountable. And I remember thinking when that happened of all the other people I've read about and heard about or heard of since quite frankly when someone who they love dies especially a child unexpectedly or in some horrific manner or even just from from any any from whatever the reason I can relate so well to that loss and that feeling any death really it's allows me to understand it in a way that I don't think if you haven't experienced it on that level, you would never know. Yeah. I think that's one of the highest strategies that we hear about is parents who outlive their children. And because it's a special kind of grief, it's one thing for a child to lose their father or mother, which is tragic, don't get me wrong. Um, but it's another thing entirely for that father or mother to lose the so when you found yourself in that kind of trauma, how did you manage to turn that into a sense of purpose? I'm just thinking for the, the people out there who have, like yourself, lost loved ones or lost those who are very dear to them or very central to their life. 
and might just be stuck there. How do you how do you move forward and turn that into something purposeful? I would say a couple things. One is nine times out of ten, and I don't know, you know, because I wouldn't know everyone's circumstance and who who they lost. Think about it. The person you lost would not want you to walk around wallowing, grieving, miserable, sad, depressed. Is that what they'd want for you? That they're gone and you're walking? Hopefully not. <laughs> you're, you're not even living anymore? No. And my daughter was a particularly happy-go-lucky, sweet, kind, full of kindness. and she, The last thing she'd want is to see me in life miserable. That's not what you want. So I think you have to think of that. The other thing is you're still here. So to take that gift of life and allow a death, a tragic, whatever you go through to make you stop living to me is not a choice. It's not an option because then you're wasting your own life. You're here yeah. for a reason, whatever that reason is. And to to just throw that away, because, well, I went through that. Well, okay, you know what? We all go through stuff. Some people go through it way worse than others. But I believe that, and I think it's true, that the nature, the nature of this very existence is that we go through challenges, roadblocks are going to, that's the nature of this life. You're not going to just sail along. Everything's fantastic. That's not reality. You're going to have great things happen, hopefully happy things, joyous, all on the good side. And there's going to be times when things don't work out the way you want or you something happens. It, it's just the way, the nature of this existence. So we have to understand that that's our reality. And so when these things, when you're confronted with them, especially something that you can't, I could not change anything about my daughter's death. She's dead. And I think that's the number one thing is that you have to accept the reality. And I remember, and I will share this with your listeners. I remember the first few days for two days after my daughter was killed and she was actually tragically murdered. I remember beating myself up. Why didn't I, you can fill in the blank. Why didn't we go to her friend's house and pick her up? Why? Why did? And then finally, I got upset that I thought about it. <laughs> and I said to myself, I said, stop it. She's dead. No matter what you could have, would have, it's too late now. So you're just going in a big circle and you're driving yourself crazy. So stop it. I really talked to myself like that. And I think that's what a lot of people do as well, is you get caught up in, oh, but if I, but I should have, okay, you know what? If there's a circumstance where you can't change um, what's happened, then you, you have no choice but to go on and to accept it. And I think that's where a lot of people get hung up on is, when they can't change the circumstance. I remember, uh, like for me, I lost a really close friend of mine last year on Mother's Day. Uh, and I can't imagine how his mom felt, but I know that it was really hard for me as well because I poured a lot of my life into him and um, 
know, we just really gotten close over the past few years. But I had that same choice that you're talking about. I have to decide, oh, am I going to just kind of stop? Or am I going to use this to drive me further into purpose? Now, for me, that looked like uh, pursuing ministry and evangelism to a greater degree. Um, but let's talk about what that looks like for you and how that can translate to others. Um, so I know a little bit about what you've done. I know that you started the organization after her namesake to kind of just promote, as you said, uh, that same kind of attitude that she had about life and about seeing good in things and, and doing good. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. It was actually the the night of the, that night when she was killed, uh, my husband said, we have to do something to commemorate her. And he immediately thought of this Good Deeds website. So initially, the, the, actually, the, we were just a Good Deeds website. That's what we were. And people at the beginning, there was such an outpouring because here was this young, lovely, well-liked uh, 13-year-old sweet kid who had been tragically murdered. And I do want to mention the murderer and I'll go back and I want to answer your question, but I do want to mention it because. Yeah, let's pause and talk about that. Okay. The reason I want to mention it is that the person who killed her was utterly remorseless. And to me, that was the worst part of the whole thing. Yes, he aimed his car at over 70 miles an hour and hit her directly as she was walking. And, you know, he, she was thrown in the air and then it was, they say about 30 feet. There were a lot of eyewitnesses because it was, as I said, spring break, it was very busy uh, on the road where she had been walking. And, you know, our town in Malibu, it's one main road through the whole town. So it gets busy on holidays or weekends, especially when the weather's nice. But anyway, she was thrown 30 feet in the air and then fell. So there were a lot of people, uh, witnesses. And the interesting thing is that because it was a homicide investigation, we were not allowed to talk to any of the witnesses. We were warned that it would be considered witness tampering. So we literally found out most of what happened in court during different court. And we had to go through two years of the court system, which is a whole other discussion. But that's how I learned about what exactly happened. But um, so I think the fact that this person, this man, who was so utterly remorseless, I felt strongly that he needed to pay for his crime and go to jail. And I want to preface that by saying that had it truly been an accident, really, where someone inadvertently, you know, it was a complete mistake, I would forgive them because. There are horrible accidents that happen in life. You know, if you think of friendly fire in, in war, just as an example, that there's times when horrible things happen and it's, it is an accident. You know, you read sometimes or I hear, you know, something falls from one level of someone's driving on the freeway with something and it goes on the, and, and it kills, lands on the car. I mean, horrible things happen. Or let's even bring it to the, to the level of family. I know um, of stories to where, a husband's mowing the lawn and their two-year-old 
just happens to get right in the blind spot and is maimed or killed. Yes. Or somebody's backing out of the driveway. And yeah, that causes a lot of hurt. And I think that you're right. It's easier to deal with if it's an accident. Um, I find that it is much more difficult to forgive somebody who we don't think deserves it. Yes. But let's get back to how that ties to your purpose. I'm curious to see how that ties together. Right. So we started uh, a Good Deeds uh, site. And then when when the whole court thing was over, it took about two years, I, I have to say that I was literally, I felt compelled to do something. It wasn't even as if I had a choice, I thought to myself, I remember saying, I have to do something. I felt so wired up and I wanted to do two things. I wanted to do something that would be significant to Emily and help other people because that was what she was all about, even in her very short life. And so at first I was going to do something dance related because she really loved to dance. That was her favorite outlet and passion. Um, but there were so many programs that seemed uh, different things related to dance that already were in place. And then I thought about something because Emily struggled in school. She had what they called processing issues and she fell in what I call a gray area where she didn't need any kind of special education, bright kids, smart, articulate, but she had some sort of disconnect between her knowledge and when she had to do written tests, like to write it down. You know, the classic definition of a learning difference is someone whose knowledge and ability is not reflected in their results. That was Emily. And if you verbally asked her things, she knew it. But for example, math, you can't do verbally. And she also had dyslexia. So she would flip numbers or she would do the wrong operation. The bottom line is she had a lot of struggles in school and she fell in this gray area. And I worked with her a lot. And when she got into middle school, she was in eighth grade when she was killed. That really didn't work anymore. You know, it was my husband who said, you know what? There's so much shouting and dissension in this house now. And he said, I think you need to go back to being her mother and not her tutor. And we have to get outside help. And I actually initially didn't want to do that. But I saw in hindsight that he was right because I had become more of a taskmaster than a mother where I was constantly on her. And I can imagine now when I think back the pressure I put on her, plus it was very hard to her, for her to step up and perform. And, and what happened is we went to outside help and I experimented by using a therapist and experienced teachers. And interestingly, she did the best with university students. I remember reading about and that. I figured out why. Yeah, I figured out why. Because they're young, she could relate to them. She felt comfortable with them. She wasn't with an authority figure. And to me, they were ideal role models. Here they were in university. So even if that isn't necessarily your career path, having someone who is in university and perfectly capable and bright and, you know, who's there to help you is a great, it's a great matchup for middle school age kids. And the bottom line is when I felt compelled to do something, I went to her school and I met with the, uh, at the time, you know, principal of the middle school, vice principal of the middle school. And I said, what do you have for kids like Emily? 
a kid who's going to risk failure or doing very poorly in the mainstream middle school classroom who can't afford what we gave Emily. They can't afford, you know, I'm going to go out and get a tutor. I'm going to get help. I'm gonna... What if they're, they're stuck and there's nothing in the school system for kids like this? And then I knew what I had to do. And that's how I created the CSEA, which stands for Successful Educational Achievement Program. Yeah, I remember that. And you had a clever reason for naming it that as well. <laughs> before we get into that, before we get into that, though, you said a couple of things, and I'd really like to dig into them a little bit more, if you don't mind. Um, one of them, you talked about just the relatability factor of having somebody that's a little bit closer in age and um, not viewed as an outsider, so to speak. I guess the uh, university student is what you would say in that case. Um, but really, more than that, I want to focus on something that you said about the dissension in the household and how we should be able to recognize those things. Because I think you're right, and I think your husband's right, that when that's happening, it doesn't help us to function well as a family. Um, both in my experience, I've noticed that as a a husband and a father, but as well as for our audience out there, I know not all of them are um, just young, ready to do it entrepreneurs. I know some of them are entrepreneurs with households and families. And um, would you mind speaking to that dissension and how that relates to functioning well? Right. Well, it, you know, it's interesting when you are in a certain dynamic, it's hard to actually see it in a very clear light because you're so emotionally invested. And in this case, I know that I put my own pressures and expectations, you know, as a parent, you want your children to excel or at least do well. And I'm not unrealistic. Not every child is going to be an A student. And I think that's a big part of things. You have to accept that some kids are C students. That's it. That's their best ability. And, and at least in some subjects. And you know what? It's okay. And I think because I was a very high achiever and always did well in school. And I realized that I was imposing my own um, expectations, I guess, is the way to put it. Now, listen, I'm not saying you have a license to just, okay, well, I'm not going to really try hard because I don't really like this. No, try your best do your best. But obviously, I, as a parent, you need to understand that every child has their own levels and abilities of success in, in academics. And so I think for me, I really had to understand, A, that Emily had these issues, which I could not relate to. I didn't understand them for a long time. And they prevented her from being able to do what she could do very well. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, they had this constitution test that they did every year where they had to learn, I think it was like 200 and something articles of the constitution. And some were very simple, but some were very lengthy with, you know, like five or six points to each of them. And study over a period of time to learn all these cards, they put them all on cards and they learn, and some of them are easy, like who's the president, but others are very involved. And Emily studied and studied and studied. I, she knew that inside out. And I knew that she did. And they wrote the test in those days right before the Thanksgiving holiday. And I will never forget when I picked her up 
And she was in tears. And I said, what is it? And I, her literal, her exact words were, she said, I failed with all the losers. <laughs> That's what she said to me. And I felt so, it ruined her whole Thanksgiving holiday. She was so upset. And I sent an email to the teacher and I said, you know, I know that Emily knew this stuff. And uh, it's really unfortunate that she failed. I mean, you know, I hope she can rewrite it or, you know, I can't remember what I said, but something to that effect. And the teacher, Emily, told me on, on the, on, right after Thanksgiving, on the Monday, when they were back in school at lunchtime, the teacher called Emily into, her, um, into the room. And she started firing the questions from the test at her verbally. Emily answered every single one. She passed her. And she sent me a note. She said, you're absolutely right. Your daughter knew this inside and out. So that gives you an example. So Emily did have these learning issues and she was much better verbally than writing for some reason. And unfortunately, I couldn't get an accommodation where she had verbal tests. But back to what you were alluding to, yes, as a parent, when we made that switch and when my husband wisely suggested it, it changed everything in our life. Now, we were lucky that we could afford to hire someone outside to work with her. But it changed things, you know, especially in middle school, that's an age where it's a tough time in life, number one, if you remember back to middle school years. But uh, I was going to say that that's an age where kids are learning to separate from their parents, their peer group is taking on greater importance in their lives. And so to have your mother breathing down your neck every day on your homework and your this and your it, it wasn't a healthy mix for any of us. And so it really did create a lot more harmony once we made that switch. Also, um, I remember how well she related to these university students. It, she wanted to please them. You know, they, it was a perfect, it's a perfect age because they look up to them and they respect them and they kind of want to emulate them in a way. And they, they're accountable to them. That's about this, the C program. I bonded it a lot on my own experience with Emily and then, of course, I did team up with a middle school teacher who had taught for over four years so that he helped me put a lot of components of the program together. The C program is not just, well, let me help you with your homework. It's, it's far beyond that. Yeah, let's go ahead and get ready to get into that then. Um, so you talk about these learning issues that she had, and that's something I can relate to as I kind of chortled as you were kind of talking about that, that... Uh, you know, and especially in high school for me was where I, I really bombed it, so to speak. I remember getting kicked out of high school just because I was doing that bad with not only grades, but just the social adjustments, which it sounds like that's something that you deal with a lot with your middle schoolers is there's a lot of social adjustments that are happening. Um, and so I can relate to that as well. But let's talk about what you're doing to fix that and turning it back to where uh, you said, hey, out of the Emily Shane Foundation, I remember reading, and I think you've even said in this interview, how you wanted to do something more. And that's how the C Foundation, the SEA, uh, came about. Let's talk about that just a little bit. Oh, sure. Well, I, I, after I went to her school and they told me there was nothing for kids who fit Emily's profile, that's when I knew what I had to do. And Honestly, I didn't know what I was doing. I just did it. <laughs> you know, we had, I learned we had to become a 501c3. And, I, you know, I just went through all the levels and layers of 
I, I didn't really stop to think. I just went went for it, I guess is the way to see. Yeah, I started with her school. And at the time it was in 2012, I remember we had one mentor, tutor and three kids. And now we are starting our ninth year and we've helped over 700 children at 13 sites across Los Angeles and Ventura County. And really it's only funding its resources that I can't expand right now anymore, especially with the COVID, but that's kind of just a snapshot of how long we've been around and what we do. Um, the goal of the C program is for children who are failing or struggling who could not otherwise afford help in middle school. And school identifies the kids for us. And they, so they're in sixth, seventh, or eighth grade. Typically, they've got, they're failing some of the key subjects or they've got like D's and F's. And often, but not always, but often, they're from households where maybe the parents don't speak English or um, they're not educated or they can't help their kids even if they want to. Or there's a single parent in, they're working three jobs and have five other kids. Uh, I've had situations where, you know, there's a parent in prison or they're not even living with the parents. There's, there's so many different scenarios. But the bottom line is that these are kids who frankly are perfectly capable, but no one, they've never had the help they need to allow them to succeed in school. And the reason I'm so adamant about it is that I truly believe in this day and age, you must finish middle school and high school, whatever you're going to do. Not everyone's path is a four-year university. Some people may go to a community college, a trade school, do an apprenticeship, work, whatever it is. But I feel that, I feel strongly that if you don't finish those two things, middle school and high school, your chances in your future are going to be very limited. And that's why I feel strongly about this. And I feel even more strongly that disadvantage, just because you're, your socioeconomic situation should not determine your academic potential. Mm. To me, that's unfair. And that's why I feel so strongly about this. These kids just need the right help. And often when the mentor tutors start working with them, many of them are below grade level. So I've had kids who don't know how to multiply and they're in seventh grade. They can't read or write English. Sometimes their English is at a third grade or below. They, the interesting thing is that with the right help, they can often get caught up or excel or get move forward fairly quickly because this is a one-on-one, -on -one, how do you learn, where are you at? It's very individualized. And our mentor tutors are all vetted and trained it's not just homework help. They certainly will help with homework, but the focus is on the subjects of difficulty for the child and where they're failing, as well as on organizational skills and study skills. Because if you can even help someone, which hopefully you think can, to improve, let's say, in math, if they don't know when the test is or what's on it, they're not going to do very well. So you need to learn the whole skill set, the skill set to be a successful student. And that's what we do in this program. It combines the academic support, 
and the skill set necessary along with the mentorship. Now, we're not trained counselors, but there's a bond that usually develops between the mentor and mentee. And often things do come up. I, I've had a lot that the mentor tutors have shared with me and sometimes the kids directly to me if I met with them about things that are going on that are affecting them in their life. Yeah, I think that's the area that I want to focus on next. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to talk about how through these engagements about academics, you're able to engage these students about um, real life issues, real obstacles uh, that they're going through uh, in order to help them, as you noted, graduate for the purpose of having a better future. That's where I want to stick at. But real quick, before we do, I want to take a pause and I want to invite the audience. Hey, you guys, yeah, the ones with the headphones in or in the car or at the gym, wherever you're at right now. Um, if you're resonating with what uh, Ellen is saying here, if you're, if this is making sense to you, can I ask that you go ahead and pause it real quick and share it with a friend or write a review? Uh, that'll really help others to also hear the same message. Don't worry, Ellen and I are right here. We're not going anywhere. Are you going anywhere, Ellen? No. <laughs> no so we're right here. So we're, we're going to pause for like 10 seconds. And then we're going to be right back. Okay, maybe that was more of five seconds. But back to the interview, I really wanted to focus on how you're helping these kids reach their purpose. As you know, that's, that's one of our biggest things. We want to help people succeed in their purposes. And most of the time that does revolve around things later in life, but you're right. It has the potential to start much earlier. And if these students aren't able to function well in their home life, they're not going to be able to function well in their educational life. And it's not able to function well in their educational life, they're sure not going to function well in their professional life, regardless of what field they go into. So let's talk about that and some of the impacts you've made. And maybe if you can, I would love to hear an example of two of a specific student. You don't have to use their real names, I understand, but a specific student and how that person has really had a life transformation from the SEA program. Yes, I'd be happy to uh share that. I I want to mention one thing just quickly, which I should mention about the SCA program and the C program is that we did tie in our good deeds, which I I would like to. We will be getting to that. (laughs) Right. Okay. Because I want to make sure that your listeners know that as we started as a good deeds website, what we did when I created the C program is we incorporated that in and so we kind of call it the cost of admission. And that is, of course, the program is free because we're helping a disadvantaged population. But the cost is that each of the students must perform a good deed or act of kindness for every session they have. Typically, they're twice a week. So twice a week, these kids all have to think about doing something nice for somebody and doing it. And so that's how we tied in and our motto is pass it forward. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, yeah, we'll get do- into that some more too. Yeah, I, uh, I have a, I actually have a very specific question I'd like to ask there. Um, okay. 
And then uh, talking about, I've had, you know, there were some instances just speaking about the mentorship part. I remember one mentor telling me that her student, this is a seventh grade girl in Pico Rivera. Uh, I remember that she had had a boyfriend and they had broken up and she was sobbing and distraught not just for one session, but it lasted for several weeks. And, you know, it's interesting to me that at that age, you know, these quote unquote relationships, whatever they, whatever they look like, um, affected her so deeply and she had trouble focusing and, you know, it sounds trivial, but it really, I guess, impacted her significantly. And the mentor had to talk her through you know, her own life saying, you know what, I've had a boyfriend and it doesn't, la- you know, just kind of helping her to work through that process. That's one little example, but I have a very significant example that I remember so well when I went to one of our sites here in Santa Monica and I do the student orientation, which all the students participate in before they begin in the program. And one boy, what his demeanor he, he didn't look up. He, he looked down. He looked very unhappy. He spoke. Uh, he just seemed so depressed, I guess, is the word I would use. And I found out in the background that there was a very uh, sad home life situation where the mother was very ill and bedridden. The father was very, very elderly. They were having tremendous financial difficulty and so on. And he wasn't really trying. I think he was perfectly capable, but he wasn't really trying and he didn't see the point of school and just kind of was giving up on himself. And I paired him with this very dynamic, outgoing uh, mentor tutor who I, I remember thinking she'd be great for him because she was motivating and positive and a real doer. And she worked with him and it was like a miracle to me when I saw him at the end of the school year, at the end of the school year, we give them these little certificates of achievement and the mentors talk about the progress the students have made, whatever that is, it's different for everybody. And he had improved significantly, he had terrific grades. But what was striking to me was that when I met him and saw him, it was like a different person. He was smiling. He was looking me in the eye. He was standing tall. He was so happy. She had brought this to him. She had helped him just realize his potential. And when I saw his... it was so striking to me, the differences in his demeanor from when I first met him to that moment. I will never forget the transformation that took place with him. What kind of a impact do you think that that had? I mean, it sounds that it was incredible. What do you think would have happened without the SCA in that case? I don't know, because if you think about it, imagine if you or, or if I, I think of this sometimes, had someone twice a week coming to you and saying how terrific you are and how you're going to excel and how they're going to help you make it happen. I mean, 
think about that, that it's, it's very inspiring when someone believes in you and is there for you and rooting for you and showing you and guiding you and teaching you. Think about what that does to your psyche. Because some kids come into this program unhappy because of whatever's going on at home. I've had kids who they have a mother in prison. I've had the dad in prison, uh, foster kids, all kinds of different situations. And these are a lot of people that society, for the most part, uh, would give up on. And yeah. Yes. It seems like you guys have picked up on that quite a bit. I felt that it was important not just to be academic, but to look at the whole thing, the whole situation, because it does have an impact, as you said at at the outset when we were talking about this, it does have an impact. Sometimes it's just, it's often, it can be a, a mix, but sometimes it is a home life or social issues, as you brought up that can really impact someone's performance. If you're feeling really unhappy or bothered by something or something dire is going on, it's going to impact every aspect, especially as a child. It's going to impact adults as well. It's gonna impact every aspect of your life, including your ability to concentrate and listen and do your work. Exactly. Let's just get real uh, for a minute for the audience here. You know, if we're sitting here and uh, I know like say we're in, we're in middle school or high school and our main focus is, hey, we want to be liked by the cool kids and our home life, we've got two divorced parents and two different step parents and siblings that we don't see. And you know we've got all this stuff going on in the background. <laughs> How are we supposed to be surprised if somebody like that isn't really that into their school at that point? Isn't really making great grades on their core stuff, like their math and their history and such. They've got a lot of issues in the background that are going to be needed to be fixed first before they can take that next step. And I think what your organization does in this case is extremely valuable because a lot of the time, the schools themselves, and I'm sure there's multiple reasons for this, and I'm not saying that the schools are evil. I mean, they're doing the best they can, but they're not equipped Right. to handle both the learning challenges and the challenges behind those challenges. And it's like you and I said uh, earlier that that happens to us today. And so whether we're a student in uh, middle school, high school, or an adult in the office, when we have not only those performance challenges, but those challenges behind the challenges, the stuff that's going on in the home, the stuff that's going on in the peer group, because if we're honest, this doesn't really change whether we're in middle school or adulthood. We still have the peer group issues, the peer pressure issues, the home life issues. And so it takes that outside voice, like you're saying, that can be relatable, not somebody that's entirely foreign to us that we're not going to listen to, but somebody that's relatable, that's close enough in age, but far enough in experience to make a difference, to speak that life into us so that we can have that change and then work on the performance issues and then be able to succeed in what's in front of us. That's very true. Thank you for listening to part one of this interview with Ellen Shane on honoring her daughter's memory by making a difference for others. Be sure to tune into next week's episode as we wrap up our conversation with Ellen talking about the Lifetime Achievement Award she received from Barack Obama, her advice to the younger people, and the SEA Foundation's Pass It Forward culture.